I, I would, I'm, I'm going to recommend this little newsletter out there. I found the uh, a, a Grenadian Christmas, a very interesting article. I'm not saying the rest of it isn't interesting. I didn't get any farther than that. But, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting article to think how people do Christmas very differently in other places. So, also, I recommend Olive Branch as a good ministry to f keep up with. So, uh, I'll leave it with that. Well, um, it's Christmas. Christmas is a time we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. And um, the... Um, the Bible tells us his name shall be called Emmanuel because it, it means God with us. And how uh, incredible a story that God would, would come down. He would come down to be with us, a lost humanity. He would um, come down in the form of a baby and, um, and live life here and show us how life should be lived. And with the purpose of redeeming mankind and restoring a relationship with God. Paul declares to us, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. But I'd like to remind you this morning, the story isn't over. When Jesus went back to heaven, there were, uh, there were angels who appeared to the disciples and told them, why are you looking up into heaven? The same Jesus, which, which has gone away into heaven, is going to come back. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. Peter declares, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot, without spot, and blameless. The title of my sermon this morning is The Next Time He Comes. The Next Time He Comes. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. The next time he comes, he will be coming to take a bride. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Revelation 19, verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints." And he said to me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. What is omnipotent? All ruling, absolute, universally sovereign, able to do anything. That is the kind of God that is reigning. Who is the lamb? Who is the lamb? He saw a lamb. See, where is that? Verse 7. 
for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Who is the Lamb? And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Very obviously, Jesus is the Lamb. He was the one slain from the foundation of the world. And who is the wife? It's the same as the bride. If you go to Revelation 21, verse 9, it says, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. So I assume that those are the same thing. And um, who is the Lamb's wife? Well, let's see. I think it's the church. You know, go to Ephesians 5. He, he uh, tells us to love our wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And he goes on and gives that beautiful passage and tells us how to, how to be self-giving. And then he winds up with this interesting saying. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. And um, so the, um, that, is, that is the example that Jesus gave us in giving um, ourselves. And that's why I believe it's so serious to break the bonds of matrimony. In a sense, it's calling Jesus unfaithful. And Jesus is always faithful. What is the fine linen? He says it's the righteousness of the saints. Now, as we, as we, uh, as we read through Revelation, we can sometimes feel like there's a lot of stuff that we, we uh, just... Uh, we don't get, and we wonder, is this, is this, uh, what does this mean, you know? But as we read and as we watch, I think we'll, we'll see many times that um, the, the explanation is given right there, or it's given somewhere else in the, in the book. And here it says, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Well, how are the robes made white? Revelation 7:14 said, I said to him, Sir, thou knowest. He said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's how the robes get white. They're made white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, now Romans 8 uh, indicates to us that God, God not only wants us to be, to be clean, um, on the inside, but that cleanness on the inside should be coming to the outside. And so if we find that we're not walking with God and we're not allowing him to be Lord of our life, that tells us something about what's happening inside. He says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So righteousness starts on the inside and works its way out. Verse 11, and I saw heaven opened. I'd like you to notice in this passage that he is coming in power and great glory. He is coming in power and great glory. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was faithful and true. And in righteousness doth, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his, on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. He's the one on the horse. He's coming in majesty. He's faithful and true. He's righteous. He has flaming eyes. He has many crowns. 
He has a robe dipped in blood. Why does he have a robe dipped in blood? Because he's also the lamb. He's also the one who shed his blood for our sins. So he's not only the one who comes in great power and glory. He's also the one who died for us, who came, whose, whose birth we celebrate on this Christmas day. And if you wonder who he is, you can wonder no more because it says he is called the word of God. And in John 1 verse 14, it says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. I'd like to remind you it's Jesus and he's coming back. He's not only coming in power and great glory, he's coming to judge the world. Verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive to the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. When he comes back, he's coming to judge. Here we have, here we have the men that rejected his rule. You would think if somebody came, and you know you could ask the question, well, is he coming visually? What is, 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 is this a real thing? Well, what is real? Why is, when we see something as human, physical human beings, is it real? Is the spiritual realm any different? Is it, is it any less real than what we see with our eyes? No, absolutely not. And um, so is his, is his sword an actual sword that comes out of his mouth? Or is it his word? We don't know all that, but you know, I suspect that those people that see him see him this way. We don't know. We don't know quite how that is. Maybe you know, but I'm not sure I know. But um, but his his mouth is is uh, is powerful. He spoke the words into being. What do you think he can do to marry humanity? And um, and but you know, when the people are deceived, look what they did. They decide they're going to go fight this, this marvelous being that comes out of heaven with, followed by these, uh, his whole host of, of his saints that come with him. 
they didn't stand a chance. They didn't stand a chance. We don't stand a chance when we reject him either. We don't stand a chance. He's coming back. He's not coming back as a baby next time. He's coming back as, as king. And it had on his robe and his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lord. You, you know, they could have bowed down to him when they came, when he came back. They didn't. Their hearts were already set against God. They didn't bow down. And we saw um, the result of that. How that he called all the buzzards from a long ways off to clean up all the mess. And um, Now, if you go on to the next chapter, you'll find in, verse, in chapter 20 um, how that he binds Satan and um, sticks him aside so that he can't deceive the nations for a while. You see those that reign with, with Christ, um, who were killed for the sake of Christ. And, um, and then when you get to verse 11, you find the great white throne judgment. And I saw a great white throne and him that sit on it from whose face and earth the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Now, I think I see two things. I see the book of life, okay? That is where the saints' names are written in. The other books are the books that, that tell about the life of people. And um, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. No longer will there be a place of the dead. No longer will there be any death. They were cast into the lake of fire, destroyed cast out, eliminated. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Very serious words. Very serious words. You know, you can't get away from it. How you live will affect you in judgment day. It says it will be judged according to our works. But I, I ask you, what works can you do that will prepare you for the day of judgment? What works can you do that will prepare you for the day of judgment? How do you know if you've done enough? How do you know that God's going to be satisfied? I'd like to remind you of the words of Jesus. He was asking, he said, Lord, what shall we do that we do the works of God? And what did he say? He said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. That is the work that God calls us to do. Now, is that going to reflect out in our life? Most certainly it will. Um, it most certainly will. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
So as, as we walk in the spirit of God, the spirit that God gives us, when we give our lives over to him, then God changes the way we think. He changes the way we walk. And most certainly he does. I'd like to show you the other side of the coming of Jesus. There's a sober side, but there's also a very joyous side. A side we can look forward to as saints. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And I was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared, <coughs> excuse me, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Can you think of any better words than God is going to come live with us? Is he going to come live with just anybody? You know, and he goes on to say, and he will wipe away all tears from their eyes. For those of us who are older, Christmas is not only a joyous time, it's a little bit of a sad time. There's also, there's also, a, certain few amount, there's also a certain amount of tears at Christmas. I think you know what I mean. Those tears won't be anymore. They're gone. You know, it's comforting to think of Emmanuel, the meek and mild baby Jesus. But it's also comforting to think of his second coming when we understand our salvation and when our hearts are prepared. Hebrews 9 27 tells us it's appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ, who was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And I want you to notice he talks about the judgment of God and what's the next words that he says. He says, Christ was offered to bear our sins. Christ was offered to bear our sins. He doesn't offer, he doesn't give us judgment without, without a solution. Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know, those that trust in their own performance are going to be uneasy about the coming of Christ. But those that trust in the work of Christ... can rest easy. And now, little children, abide in him. That is, be connected to him. Allow him to be connected to you. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Abide in him so we can have confidence. We can't, we can't, you know, we're like a little child, and we're walking the ice, and we try to hold on to Daddy. How does that work? What happens when Daddy holds on to us? There's a difference, and we need to let God hold on to us. We can't try to just hold on to him. It's not going to work. We've got to let him hold on to us. And he who testifies, he sings, says, Surely I come quickly, even so come Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.